Lesson 13 for December 21 to 27. Leaders in Israel. Read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, December 21. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and as we come to the end of this quarter, we thank you that in studying these books of Nehemiah and Ezra and the work that they did, and the relationship between that and your love and your guidance and your salvation, we pray that this week we will conclude by knowing that Jesus is our Saviour and that you are there for each of us and that you are faithful. Bless us each one, we pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 14. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. Let's read that again. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. Nehemiah 8 verse 12. Both Ezra and Nehemiah are examples of great leaders who were dedicated to God and to fulfilling the tasks that the Lord had called them to do. Their love for God inspired in them a desire to be faithful servants. In fact, their faithfulness has been a central part of our study. This week, we will look at examples of leadership found in the Bible, including the examples of Ezra and Nehemiah. These are not exhaustive lessons, for sure, as there are many more that could be discussed. However, the lessons that were chosen are essential for any leader. You may not consider yourself a leader at this specific time in your life, but we all have influence with some people. Therefore, the lessons are applicable to everyone. Central to the story of these leaders is the Word of God. The word transformed their thinking and life and resulted in the whole program for revival and reformation. They were totally indebted to God's word and his instruction that they found in it. In the same way, no matter who we are and whatever our role is, we must keep the word of God central to how we live as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. Sunday, December 22, The Influence of Leaders All through the Bible, we can find examples of leadership, both good and bad, and sometimes even a mixture of both. Bad leaders, at times, have done some good things, while good leaders, at times, have done some bad things. After all, all leaders are human beings and, as such, are capable of both good and evil, or doing right and wrong. Who hasn't experienced this reality in their own lives? The problem, however, is that when you are a leader, you exert great influence, either for good or bad. It's bad enough to be a negative influence in your own home or workplace or wherever your presence is felt, but when you are in a leadership position, be it spiritual, political or both, the influence is greatly multiplied. How crucial, then, that in whatever your role, 
but especially as a leader, you reflect the principles and teachings of Scripture. Question, look up the following texts. What kind of examples of leadership do we find there? If good, explain why it was good. If bad, explain why it was bad. First of all, we'll look at Rehoboam in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 1 to 16. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt, that they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, Depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, and he said, How do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to these people today, and serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him, and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people. For the turn of events was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken to Ahijah the Shilonite, to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse to your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents. If good, explain why it was good. If bad, explain why it was bad. The next one is Peter in Acts chapter 15, verses 7 to 11. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago 
God chose among us, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. If good, explain why it was good. If bad, explain why it was bad. And then Josiah in Second Kings 23 verses 1 to 10. Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah and for all the host of heaven and he burned them outside Jerusalem in the field of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he removed the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem and those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun to the moon, to the constellations, and to all the host of heaven. And he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the book Kidron outside Jerusalem, burned it at the brook Kidron and ground it to ashes, and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the gold, for the wooden image, and he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also he broke down the high places of the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. And he defiled Topher, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnon, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Molech. If good, explain why it was good. If bad, explain why it was bad. And then Deborah in Judges chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harasheth, Hagoyim, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had nine hundred chariots of iron, and for twenty years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. 
Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lepidoth, was judging Israel at that time, and she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak the son of Abinoam from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor, Take with you ten thousand men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh. He went up with ten thousand men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zainam, which is beside Kadesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, nine hundred chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him, from Hayaseth Hagoin to the river Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, For this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tamor with ten thousand men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. If good, explain why it was good. If bad, explain why it was bad. And finally, Ahab in 1 Kings 21, verses 1 to 16. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near, next to my house, and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would not eat food. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? He said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Then Jezebel his wife said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel? 
Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letters, saying, Proclaim a fast, and seat Naboth with high honour among the people, and seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king, then take him out and stone him, that he may die. So, the men of his city, the elders and nobles who were inhabitants in his city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast, and seated Naboth with high honour among the people. The two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him, and the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones, so that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. So it was, when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. If good, explain why it was a good example. If bad, explain why it was bad. And so, to finish the day, though just a smattering, what lessons can we take away from these stories about what makes good and bad leadership? And how can we apply what we learn to ourselves in whatever roles we are in? Monday, December 23. Evil in the sight of the Lord. Question. Look at the following texts. What do they tell us about these leaders and their influence over the people they ruled? 1 Kings 15, verses 26 and 34. Verse 26. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. And verse 36. Verse 34, sorry, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. And Second Kings 13, 1-3. In the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel in Samaria, and reigned seventeen years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. And John 11, verses 46 to 53. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did, 
Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on they plotted to put him to death. It is a sobering thought to many of us who hold positions of leadership in any capacity that our leadership has the potential to bring people down or up spiritually. And in all the cases here, the effect was devastatingly negative. More specifically, our character and dedication to Christ make a difference to those with whom we interact. Spiritual leaders influence others, either toward God, if they themselves seek God, or toward evil, if they do not. In contrast to what we have seen today, the fact that Ezra and Nehemiah had a strong relationship with God is undeniable. The amount of fasting and praying that is recorded in these books about Ezra and Nehemiah exceeds what the Bible reports for other great leaders. The nation was walking with God under their leadership, even if everything wasn't perfect. Their direction in life was toward God. On the other hand, the fact that there were those who were not impacted or changed by the influences of Ezra and Nehemiah testifies that no one else's faith but our own ultimately makes the difference for us. After all, look at the people who had the chance to see Jesus in the flesh, to hear him preach, and even to witness or hear about his miracles, and yet who in the end rejected him. Yes, we have a role to play, whatever our position in life is, and we can be an influence for good or evil. But, in the end, each person will have to answer for himself or herself before God. So to finish the day, think about the people in your own sphere of influence. What are ways you could improve your influence? Tuesday, December 24. Courage and Empowerment. Question. Read Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 7 to 23. In what ways did Nehemiah show courage? What gave him this courage? Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashtarites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, 
the strength of the labourers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them, and cause the work to cease. So it was, when the Jews who dwelt near them came, that they told us ten times, From whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses." And it happened, when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, every one to his work. So it was, that from that time on, that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armour, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah." Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall." Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we laboured in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, Let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I... My brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that every one took them off for washing. Nehemiah stood up against his enemies, who tried to intimidate the Jews. Nehemiah responded by taking the initiative to get the people ready to fight. Nehemiah did not just say, All right, God, you do it all. Instead, he had the people do their part. They picked up swords and other weapons, while at the same time working to build the wall. The Jews, under the leadership of Nehemiah, did not cower in fear, but rather boldly picked up arms to defend themselves. Nehemiah encouraged the people, believing in them, worked with them, and gave them the responsibility to act. He empowered them to do the work as he delegated and assigned responsibilities. However, Nehemiah didn't just tell the people what to do and then go hide in his room. He stood alongside them and did the hard work that needed to be done. There are times in the Bible when God told people to stand still and watch him fight. And then there are many other instances where God said, Prepare to act and I will give you victory. We must do our part if we want to see God's deliverance and blessings. As we read in Prophets and Kings, page 660, in Nehemiah's firm devotion to the work of God and his equally firm reliance on God, lay the reason of the failure of his enemies to draw him into their power. The soul that is indolent 
falls an easy prey to temptation. But in the life that has a noble aim, an absorbing purpose, evil finds little foothold. The faith of him who is constantly advancing does not weaken. For above, beneath, beyond, he recognises infinite love, working out all things to accomplish his good purpose. God's true servants work with a determination that will not fail, because the throne of God is their constant dependence. End of quote. In the end, Nehemiah drew his courage from his understanding of the reality and power of God. And yet, as we have seen, his knowledge of God caused him to act in accordance with his faith. So to finish the day, though the context is different, how does what we have seen in Nehemiah reflect the text in James 2 verse 18? But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Wednesday, December 25. Purpose and Passion. Question, what do the following texts teach us about the driving force in the lives of both Ezra and Nehemiah? Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid, and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad, when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favour in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they may permit me to pass through till I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy." And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel, and Ezra chapter 7, beginning at verse 8. 
And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the first month he began his journey from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. In all that they did, Ezra and Nehemiah were seeking to see God's will done in the lives of his people. Yes, the people had messed up. Yes, they were punished for it. But God, faithful to his promises of restoration, opened the way for his people to return to the promised land, and, if faithful, to fulfill the goals that he had set for them. And the Lord, in his wisdom, chose two very dedicated men, men somewhat in the likeness of Moses, to play a central role in this restoration, just as he had used Moses generations earlier for a special task as well. Great leaders, like these two men, have a goal. They have a purpose for living that drives their every action. It could be said that both Ezra and Nehemiah had a purpose in life. They had a vision of where they wanted the people of God to be. And then they put everything into accomplishing the goal. Ezra did this through studying the scriptures and teaching the people the word. Nehemiah encouraged the people to do what was right and to stand up boldly for God. Both men wanted to see a restored Jerusalem but not just a material restoration. They also wanted to see a revival and reformation in the spiritual lives of its inhabitants. That is why they corrected, reproved, and sometimes demanded a certain course of action. Great leaders believe in something greater than the ordinary and the mediocre. Ezra and Nehemiah believed in a loving, powerful God, a God who could do miracles, and they wanted everyone to have a deeper connection with him. Beginning with the first chapter of Nehemiah, the reader is impressed by Nehemiah's dedication to God's cause and also his distress over the plight of his people. In chapter 1, he weeps when he is told of the hardships of the Israelites in Judah. He gets on his knees and pledges to do whatever God calls him to do. Nehemiah appears to be driven by the idea of making a difference in the world. He was a man of action, action for God. It was not by making the highest salary or having the preeminent position that Nehemiah chose to make a difference, although he had both in Persia, but by going to Judah to a not-so-prosperous nation with opposition at every step. He stepped out in faith, regardless of the obstacles before him. Thursday, December 26. Humility and Perseverance Question. Read Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 to 23, and verses 31 and 32. Would you consider Ezra's decision not to speak to the king as foolish or brave? How did Ezra and the people show humility? Ezra 8, beginning at verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, 
to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. And Ezra 8, verses 31 and 32, Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. Some time later, Nehemiah accepted the king's entourage for protection. But, in Ezra's instance, he believed that God could show himself best if they did not ask anything of the king. Thus, when they reached Judah without harm, it was attributed to their God. Perhaps in certain situations, we may rely too much on other people and not enough on letting God show himself. Ezra chose to let God do the work in this situation and prove to the king that indeed God was a powerful God. However, Ezra didn't act with presumption. He called the people together and they fasted and prayed over the situation. They didn't engage in their journey until they had spent serious time with God. They came before God humbly, requesting that his protection become a sign of his power and God answered. Question, read Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 14 to 19. How did Nehemiah display humility? Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year until the thirty-second year of King Artaxerxes, twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine, besides forty shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowl were prepared for me, and once every ten days an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this I did not demand the governor's provisions, because the bondage was heavy on this people." Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. True leaders must be willing to humble themselves and be servants. Competent leaders do not require or need a title to gain honour. Nehemiah had his doors open and generously gave to the people. He demonstrated his faith in God and his incredible dedication to God was an example to the people. He had a strong personality and a no-nonsense temperament, but he didn't put himself above anyone else as superior. He had the highest position in the Jewish nation at that time, and yet he was unstinting. In this way, 
he reflected the life and teachings of Jesus, who taught us that the best way to lead is to serve others. Jesus did it, and thus we, regardless of our position, are to do the same. So to finish today, Mark 9 verse 35 reads, And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all, and servant of all. What do Jesus' words here teach us about what it means to be a true leader in God's sight? Friday, December 27. From the book Patriarchs and Prophets, page 677, we read, The work of restoration and reform carried on by the returned exiles, under the leadership of Zerubbabel, Ezra and Nehemiah, presents a picture of a work of spiritual restoration that is to be wrought in the closing days of this earth's history. The remnant of Israel were a feeble people exposed to the ravages of their enemies, but... Through them, God purposed to preserve in the earth a knowledge of himself and of his law. They were the guardians of the true worship, the keepers of the holy oracles. Varied were the experiences that came to them as they rebuilt the temple and the wall of Jerusalem. Strong was the opposition that they had to meet. Heavy were the burdens borne by the leaders in this work. But these men moved forward in unwavering confidence, in humility of spirit and in firm reliance upon God, believing that he would cause his truth to triumph. Like King Hezekiah, Nehemiah clave to the Lord, and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, and the Lord was with him, as it says in Second Kings 18 verses 6 and 7. End of quote. And that brings us to our four discussion questions this week. And someone has asked me uh, online uh, why I don't give answers. Well, I'm just reading. That's my role in providing the Sabbath school lesson as it is written. Uh, the question answers are yours. So the four discussion questions. Number one, why should we do all that we can before God to be supportive of our leaders? Two, why is the servant leadership style so difficult, demanding, and at the same time rewarding? Why is it so important for a Christian leader to be a servant as well? Three, in the beginning and at the end of the book, as well as in between, Nehemiah was praying. Both Ezra and Nehemiah were men of prayer. Count carefully how many times the word prayer or prayed is mentioned in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. These leaders were constantly praying. What should that say to us about our own prayer lives? And four, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. Second Kings 18 verse 6. How does one hold fast to the Lord? What does that mean? How does holding fast to the Lord relate to keeping his commandments?
Inside Story Seeing the Big Picture Our story today is by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. A family of five came nearly every day to the Seventh-day Adventist compound in South Sudan's capital, Juba, to ask for food. Peter Fanoy, a missionary physician running the small Manuki Seventh-day Adventist clinic on the compound, found the family's actions puzzling. One day, Peter decided to look for answers, and he went to the family's nearby home. What he saw shocked him. The father, mother, two daughters, and son were taking turns eating. The father and son would eat one day, and the mother and daughters would eat the next day. Peter, a native of Argentina, returned to the compound and shared his discovery with his wife Natasha, who was born in South Ossetia part of the former Soviet Union. We are focusing only on what we are doing, medical work, and forgetting the people around us who need something else, he told her. Medical work is a good thing, but the community needs something else. Clean water, food, mosquito nets, and containers for carrying water. After praying, Peter decided to write a US $150,000 proposal to the Adventist Development and Relief Agency, that's ADRA, world headquarters in the United States. He had never written a project proposal before, but ADRA embraced it and covered its budget. In a short time, the Manuki Seventh-day Adventist Clinic became known as the ADRA Jubert Project. It was 2005 months before a peace agreement ended a festering armed conflict. The small clinic expanded its services to offer food and non-food items, water sanitation and emergency assistance. In a single year, the project's funding skyrocketed from $150,000 to $2 million. I was surprised, Peter said. I realised that focusing on people and looking to meet their needs can develop projects that help others. Peter's life changed drastically. Adra sent him to Andrews University in the United States of Michigan to earn a master's degree in international development. Then he worked for a number of aid agencies, including Adra, the Danish Refugee Council, World Vision and UNICEF in Jordan, Lebanon, Bolivia, South Ossetia and Russia's Republic of Chechnya. But everything started with one small thing a desire to understand why a family was asking for food every day. My whole life focused on health before that. I didn't realise that there was something beyond the consulting room, Peter 39 said in an interview at River Plate Adventist University in South America, his alma mater that sends missionaries like him around the world. Don't just focus on what you have and what you are supposed to do, said Peter, whose photograph appears left here with, I assume that's his wife, seek to understand what people really need, and then you can offer a better and more Christ-like response. This week's lesson has been read by Dr Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. It is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department, and through the services of Christian Services for the Blind. A video of this podcast also occurs on YouTube. Remember, God is always faithful.